The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Time now for another edition of The Film Guide with Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, Danny. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. Um, now, people are being treated here because, or they might be confused, they might be thinking, oh, is it already the beginning of the month? But you're back for a bonus one, aren't you? I am, but you can't get too much of a good thing, can you? So I'm back for that. <laughs> Meaning I can't get too much of a good thing. I don't know about the audience. That, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, what we do with The Film Guide is uh, we look at uh, the new releases uh, in the cinema. Uh, in fact, we're going to do that in just a moment. We also look at uh, new releases on the streaming services. We have Howard's ch- choice of films to watch on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. Uh, and also a film that Howard deems too good to be forgotten. But let's first kick off with those new releases in the cinema. And there's a few to talk about this week. Um, we're, we're, we're in the wake of a Bond film being released, which certainly decimated releases last week. It certainly did. And I was very surprised to see that there were a few releases this week. I thought they'd all leave it alone for at least a month until Bond mania died down. Yeah. <coughs> so, so there were many films out this week. Now, mm. but as there are every week, even last week, there were a few other ones, but there were none that were likely to grace local screens and none that piqued our interest. So we just focused on the Bond one. This week, there are we're going to mention three of the the new releases so start off with one that i know you're quite excited about yes i mean it's a historical film so that always gets me uh, interested to start with and this one is set way back in 1386 and is based on a true story now how much of the facts of that true story have survived um i don't know but it's called the last duel and i did check it out because it is based on what's something that actually happened and it tells the story of Marguerite de Carouge, I think it's pronounced, in uh, France, who claims to have been raped by her husband's best friend and squire, Jacques Le Gris. And her husband is a knight called Jean de Carouge, and he challenges her um, a rapist, or uh, alleged rapist at this point, to trial by combat, which was a thing that actually did exist. We've seen it in movies before, but the idea would be you would fight to the death, and that was perfectly acceptable because God was the judge. So you couldn't possibly win if you were if you were the guilty party, and that is the premise. Now, what's good about um, the way they've turned this around? I'm having seen the trailer a couple of times. Um, the 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 lady involved, Marguerite, starts to realise that her husband uh, is as cares as much about his own personal honour and his pride uh, as he does about her well-being. So there's a, a fair amount of friction there. And also, let's throw this one in before I tell you who's in the movie. Uh, if he loses, she she is burned to death, burned alive, because she she will have lied. So that because God will have decreed that obviously um, she has an unjust case. So she is played by the the amazing Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. Um, Matt Damon plays her husband. Adam Driver plays the potentially villainous man who attacked her. He looks um, like allegedly. a villain, though, doesn't he? He does look a bit like a villain. Yeah. But, uh, he might have played the odd villain before. I seem to remember. He's a, he's a Star Wars villain, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, Ben Affleck pops up in it again. So it's a Ben Affleck and Matt Damon team up again. And it's directed by none other than the amazing Ridley Scott. Yeah, he hasn't really done much, has he, Ridley? Not much. I had a look well, at his filmography. I mean, after those I mean, uh, Hovis commercials back in yeah, the day. Yeah, so, he, so let's just go through the classics. He did Hovis, then he did Alien, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, The Martian, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, now he's done The Last Jewel, and he crops up soon in uh, Director of The House of Gucci. But check that trailer out. It looks really interesting. Okay. There's about a woman who was uh, married into the, the Gucci uh, fashion uh, brand and killed her husband and went to prison for it, but then ended up, by some weird quirk of Italian law, still getting quite a lot of his money. So she came out years later and was, was rather, more than, more than rather wealthy, very wealthy. 
and it's uh, telling her story and the trailer looks fantastic it's really really interesting so okay. Ridley Scott he's uh, He's not bad, is he? Yeah, really? and and those are just his films. I mean, he's actually also been involved with some pretty interesting television stuff as well. He was one of the producers of The Good Wife. If you, I don't know if you ever oh, saw yes. that, yes, but that was it, yeah. that was his production company that made yeah. that. And there's been other things as well. But yeah, I mean, and and also you just went through the highlights there. I you did. Know? I had to, otherwise, we'd be here all day. Yeah. He's, he started in 1977 with the Duelists, and he's still going. So so so, so he started with the Duelists, and he's and he's up to the last duel, but they're not connected. No, oddly enough, but it's come full circle. He's okay. dueling again. <laughs> yeah. And um, also, uh, just to pick out one of the cast there, you mentioned about Jodie Comer, who mm. who is, seems to be just doing ever so well at the moment. Oh, I mean, yeah, aside from the critical acclaim she's had from Killing Eve, she's also in a film that's around at the moment. I think it's on one of the streaming services uh, called Free Guy with um, Ryan Reynolds. And oh, she's yeah. she's the co-star of that, and that that's been something I've been seeing I, a lot of advertising for online. I did see a really good spoof trailer where the two of them are together, and uh, he's there um, pretending to be upset because they keep talking about how she's won a BAFTA and an Emmy and been nominated for this and nominated for that, and then they try and throw in on, on captions underneath him the things he was nominated for, like Best Screen Kiss in 2011 or whatever, and he's going, no, 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 don't do that one, and uh, it, is, <laughs> it is pretty funny. Funnier than I described it, admittedly. <laughs> Check it out on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the film that you've just mentioned there is The Last Jewel, which is out now in cinemas. Um, it's a it's a Disney film as well, although not not in the conventional yeah, sense. Not, it's not it's made by Disney Walt Disney film. Studios. It's, it's not. It's an Disney. 18 certificate, so I suspect it's slightly more gory than Bambi. Yeah, but yes, it's uh, well. So the other thing as well with with Disney films and in inverted commas is it will end up on Disney Plus fairly soon, oh, yeah. which seems to be happening at the minute. That films are getting a. I think in America they're, they're releasing them simultaneously, whereas over here I think they get the release first and then it you can pay for it on Disney Plus yes. and then it becomes free a bit and later. And there's been a bit of argument about it, hasn't it? Because sometimes it looks like they're almost just doing a token cinematic release, partly for awards, but yeah. also because they really just want to chuck it on their own. Well, this is the thing network. where is it Scarlett Johansson <laughs> sued them because exactly what I was because thinking. her salary is based on the cinematic release mm. and not on the release elsewhere. Yep. And so when it gets barely a cinematic release and then it's straight on the streaming services, that impacts her salary it's like poor Scarlett yeah. she was struggling to get by there before she sued Disney yeah we're going to have a collection there'll be uh, information about yes. how we're doing that for, uh, later please donate just £2 a month for yeah. Scarlett Johansson yeah you can adopt You can adopt a film star um, they'll send you a little postcard it's, it's lovely Brilliant. anyway let, let's move on because there are other films that we are mentioning this time around so that was uh, The Last Duel uh, out now uh, and then the next one up is uh, is one that I'm kind of looking forward to this a bit, but it's it's the sequel to Venom, which came out a couple of years back. It's called Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Yes, subtly titled Let There Be Carnage, in yeah. case you didn't get enough carnage in the original Venom movie. Now, I admit I haven't seen Venom. I have seen quite a few Marvel movies, but this one, I, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, Tom Hardy's in it. That's good. And then I looked at uh, the trailer and the, and the idea behind it, and I thought, mm, yeah... It's about a guy called Eddie Brock, and in the first one, he is taken over by a shape-shifting extraterrestrial that, from memory, wants to eat everybody. And he has to kind of try and contain it and um, cooperate with it and vice versa, and there's um, various hijinks involved. So if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm on about. If you haven't, it's a bit of a bonkers plot, but kind of fun, I suppose. Um, The sequel involves um, a deranged serial killer. Aren't they all deranged? Yeah. Um, Cletus Cassidy. Uh, who is played by Woody Harrelson. And uh, he, uh, at one point, it's a bit of a long story, but at one point he bites Eddie and ends up being infected with his very own shape-shifting extraterrestrial, which involves 
the, the extraterrestrials and the men going kind of head to head and much well oddly enough much carnage ensues as the title uh, would uh, would indicate um i did see a note that was beautifully summed up it said the film has grossed over 189 million dollars worldwide and received mixed reviews from critics though it was considered an improvement over its predecessor. So that's, uh, yeah, maybe not highbrow, maybe not an Oscar winner, yeah. but maybe good fun. If well, you like that kind if of I thing. remember rightly, the first Venom film, I think was a big hit, but was not one with the critics. It was, but yes. but I think I saw Tom Hardy in an interview where he said something like, well, we're not making a film for them. No, exactly. Um, and I, I can see that completely. Yeah. I'm, I used to, you know, years ago, I'm old enough to remember Barry Norman getting very sniffy about movies like this and going, well, it's rubbish, really. And you think, well, it's not, it's not really aimed for you, Barry. It's, you know, <laughs> just a Saturday night movie, whether you're at the cinema or you're watching it at home or what have you. Yeah. Um, so good, so good it's, it's very, well. yeah. So it's, it's very, um, I think, as the Americans call it, R-rated. It's certainly mm. not one for, for children. Um, and and you, you're saying about it's a Marvel um, superhero movie. Spider-Man universe, I think they're referring to it. As yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> for, for clarity for those who care, which is probably not many, but um, <laughs> it's the, the rights to Spider-Man are owned by Sony Pictures. Mm. And Sony allow Marvel to use Spider-Man. They've signed a deal that means that they can use Spider-Man in the Marvel movies. So he's a Marvel comic book creation. But but before Marvel Studios was a thing, some of the um, some of the superheroes were sort of sold off to other um, film studios, and and Sony owned the rights to Spider Man. So Sony have made this, and it is the 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 Venom character uh, yeah, was, was in, wasn't was in one of the Tobey yeah. Maguire Spider Man films, yep. played by somebody else. And then Tom Hardy's done it. So it's kind of linked to Spider-Man. His look is a bit like Spider-Man. But, but the costume is black with white webs as opposed to red and blue. Um, but, but also his head opens up like this almighty monster and he eats people. Yes, um, like Spider-Man eating people then, yeah, to but, sum it up. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, and and <laughs> is quite, he tends to mainly eat bad people, so mm. he's kind of an anti-hero. That's fair enough. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it, he's quite a, when he's the monster, he's quite wisecracking. And it's, there's something of the duality in it because he can't always control the monster, but sometimes he can keep, keep the monster at bay. Yes, I saw a, um, a, a clip and it was involving whether Tom Hardy was going to allow him to um, eat everyone if he if he helped him and that was the trade off yeah you can eat whoever you like just help me get out of this mess you know so that was quite funny yeah um, but yeah it's a heavyweight cast so I guess as always with Marvel they're, they're paying big checks to get good people to do the stuff Tom Hardy Woody Harrelson Michelle Williams and Naomi Harris and of course because it's compulsory um, and he is a very good actor but um, Stephen Graham who appears to be in everything yeah this. I mean absolutely everything I did look at his filmography it's massive it's like Ridley Scott's, but over a shorter period of time. In 2019 alone, Stephen Graham appeared in five films and three TV series. Lazy, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's not really... Work shy, that's not, what I call him. He, yeah, he's not really pushing it, is he? No. He's just uh, sitting back and yeah. uh, chilling. But no, he's very, very good, but blimey, is there nobody else out there to you know, give the guy a chance? Give someone else a chance, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's Venom, Let There Be Carnage, by, and it's uh, released by Sony Pictures, uh, but it is based on a Marvel character, but that's not confusing. And it's also directed by, we perhaps should mention, Andy Serkis. Yes, who we're uh, more used to seeing in Lord of the Rings and that sort of thing. When he yeah, or, or not or to not, look like himself. Or not seeing, because he's often the, he's yeah. the motion capture guy, isn't he? But, he is. uh, but yeah, he's, um, he's, this isn't his first directorial. No, he's a very talented bloke, isn't he? He does all sorts. Yeah, he, and so this is, I'm just looking at the list here now, this is his second m- movie. He directed Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, me neither. No. But, uh, <laughs> I anyway. knew of it, but I didn't see it. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the final film. Now, I, I must admit, that this final film we're going to talk about, a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine as well. 
Um, but the one we're talking about, uh, the next one up, I'm just scrolling to my right place in the list, it's Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills, yes. So if, if you, you, nearly everybody knows about the Halloween movie, Jamie Lee Curtis, all that time ago. It was very, very good. And um, I, I wrote this down because I thought, I was wondering how many how many Halloween movies have there been? <clears throat> and this one, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. Um, I did the research on this. Uh, Halloween was followed by eight sequels with Michael Myers, the antagonist in all of the films, with the exception of Halloween 3, which was called Season of the Witch, which has no direct connection to the series. Then in 2007, Rob Zombie created a remake of the original 1978 film. Then did, then there was a sequel to the 2007 film that he did two years later, a direct sequel to the original film, which ignores all of the previous sequels in 2018, two sequels to the 2018 film, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Halloween Kills is this one that's out now, and Halloween Ends, ha, as if, comes out in 2022. Confused? You will be. Yeah, this, I mean, this has been milked to death, but the original was excellent, um, all about uh, a woman on Halloween night, and I think babysitting a young kid from memory and I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this later because weirdly enough it's on TV huh. uh, this week so we can okay. go back to that so just to summarise what you just said there about all the different films yes <clears throat> basically this is the second part of a trilogy that ignores all the other ones except for the first one that sounds right although I'd have to reread it all slowly and before <laughs> pausing and then going ah that's correct you know, because yeah. it was quite confusing just to read it because, yes, because I remember um, <clears throat> and this, this may jog your memory as well but about 20 years ago, they did a movie called Halloween H2O, which was a yes. big relaunch, bigger budget, because most of those Halloween movies were straight to video and they were, they were very yeah, low yeah. budget. John and, Carpenter and, did the first one, I think, from memory. And, yeah, and I think yeah. he wrote the second one, but he didn't right. direct it. And, and Jamie Lee Curtis was in the second one as well, mm. which was, I think, picked up right after the first one ended. I think it was the same night or something like that. Oh, right. um, and Donald Pleasance used to be in all of these movies until he, he died. And mm. um, but, but yeah, so they did this Halloween H2O and LL Cool J was in it, I seem to recall. Uh, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis was in it as well. And it ignored the fact that I think she might have died in one of the earlier Halloween yes, films. Yes, hence the reinvention of it all by the sound of yeah. it. Yeah, but then this um, also ignores that. Yeah, I mean, good grief. I think we just have to look upon it as a bit of fun and not worry too much about it. It's like watching yeah. Doctor Who and then thinking, hang on a minute, why can't he just go back in? Oh, never mind. Yeah. You know, so you just got to get on with it. But it's an injured Laurie Strode at the beginning of the movie. Again, I've seen the trailer, but the movie hasn't um, is only out today, so I have no chance to see it. She leads a vigilante mob to hunt down unstoppable killer Michael Myers, who's in all of them, yeah. but apart from one that I mentioned earlier. And, and get this, and end his reign and reign of terror once and for all. But that's kind of odd because there's another one coming out next year. Yeah. So, so unless he's killed in this one and he has a brother, but you know, well, he, he they tried to kill him. He before. has a sister. Oh, because that's Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Oh, I didn't. Know I don't know if that's that a spoiler or not, but it but it turns oh. out that Ma- that Michael Myers is actually her brother. Yeah, I mean, and he was put um, in a mental asylum and she didn't know he existed. Yeah, I mean that was that, that was the original sort of idea that he breaks out of a mental asylum and then he sort of. Haunts or um, stalks Jamie Lee and her mates in the first one. Yeah. And they get picked off, and, and Jamie's got to kind of protect herself and the kid that she's looking after. And yeah. it was very good. Um, so I, so I guess the main takeaway from this is it's, it's a horror movie, and Jamie Lee Curtis is back in a role yes. that she did 40 years ago, and yes. uh, 40 plus years ago, probably. Gosh, yes, it would be, wouldn't it? Um, um, late 70s, I think, the first Halloween film. I 77? Think absolutely correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm now. 
whizzing ahead notes for later. 78. So, oh, that's close. You were very close. Close, but not so good. Yeah. So 43 so. years ago, wow. she played that role first. Yeah, and then amazing, she's back again. So that might be of interest. Um, she's like Mike Myers. You cannot kill her off. No. Um, Even when you do, you yeah. bring her back. So. Oh, and obviously we're talking about the, the killer in Halloween, not the guy from Wayne's World. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Maybe they are. The, we've never seen them in the same room. <laughs> Uh, final bit of trivia for you to test you now, Howard. Oh, heck. You know the mask that Michael Myers wears? Yes. Do you know who it's based on? Oh, do you know? I'm trying to think now. I read this yesterday because it was an expressionless one. Wasn't it William Shatner? Yeah. It's a, William, it's a William Shatner mask yeah. that they spray painted white for the, in the first movie. Wow. Back in 1978. I make no comment about William Shatner's expressionless acting because, you know, that would be... Cruel and alleged. Hopefully, by the time he goes, this goes out, he's uh, you know he, he's he's gone he's, into space. He's it? gone into space because he's going into space as we're recording this. Let's hope that otherwise yeah. we're going to have to edit all this out if that went horribly wrong. I know he's going to uh, yeah he's going to boldly go where he's never yeah. been before. Bless him. Do you reckon they're going to get him to say something like "beam me up" at some point? Or? Probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I see yeah. somebody doctored the images of him and the others that are in the thing, and he's wearing a gold yeah. gold um, uniform, and the others are all wearing they're red wearing ones, red, and they look a bit nervous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're worried. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> fabulous. Who'd, who'd have thought? this you know you go back to like when i was a child and somebody said to me because i saw today a tweet from henry winkler the fonz Fonz, sending a message to william shatner saying good luck in space buddy fantastic and i was thinking to myself like would what would the eight-year-old danny think of the fonz telling captain kirk good luck in space reading that on my pocket computer i think you would think that was pretty cool you, my mind, eight. my eight-year-old mind would have blown at it that. It would, it would, absolutely. Anyway, right, you too. There you go. Those are the new releases in the cinema. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over ten years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views, and reviews of the city and district of St Albans, as well as our delve into the local stories that matter. We regularly cover topics including health, food and drink legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time to take a look now at the uh, streaming service releases and... uh, just one this week we're going to talk about, which is on Netflix, and it is The Forgotten Battle. Yes. Now, originally, this is a Dutch movie, but it's um, it's focusing on uh, what they call The Forgotten Battle, which is uh, the Battle of the Scheldt in 1944. And that is spelled S-C-H-E-L-D-T, in case okay. you're curious. Mm-hmm. And that involved um, the Allies attempting to um, team up with the Dutch resistance, so there were Canadian, Polish, and British uh, soldiers who attempted to open up the shipping route to Antwerp <coughs> so they could use the port to supply the Allies who'd landed in Normandy. But it was it proved to be a very difficult task. There was five weeks of fighting. They lost nearly 13,000 men uh, and half of them were Canadian. And it was a, it was a, it's odd that it is forgotten because it was quite a major engagement, but it was successful in the end. Now, the movie itself <coughs> follows a Dutch Axis soldier played by I think it's Gilles Blom, but I've probably pronounced that very badly wrong. Um, a British allied pilot, played by Jamie Flatters, and a resistance woman from Zealand, not New Zealand, but Zealand, played by Susan Radder. Um, and there's, a, there's also a, uh, I wouldn't say a cameo, it's more than a cameo, but it features Tom Felton, who you may know played Draco in the Harry Potter films, and uh, also quite noticeably collapsed at the Ryder Cup recently. I don't know if you saw that. He was playing in the celebrity game and they thought he may have had a heart attack. He had to be 
carried from the golf course on a on a buggy, but it turned out he was all right. So legions of Harry Potter film film fans uh, breathed a sigh of relief, and he's back on the screen now with this. Okay. So anyway, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, you're saying about the Harry Potter thing. I worked with somebody who turned out was in three of the movies. Oh. Uh, she used to work on my old radio show, and I had no idea. And I only found out by chance the other day right. that she was Hermione's double. Oh, right. Oh, and and so this this girl, she's called Flick, uh, who used to work on my old radio show, um, yeah, never mentioned this ever. And yet she was, uh, yeah, she was her double. And I just noticed that she's launched a podcast and, and it's something about the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter. And, and I just sort of thought, oh, I never knew she was a big fan. And then it was saying about, you know, and on each edition, I'm going to be interviewing various people behind the scenes who helped, helped us with the movie. And the way she was talking, I thought... Wow, she's a real fan because she's really talking about it. Like yeah, she yeah. was part of it, and then I saw a picture of her and Emma Watson um, in the same clothing and same makeup, and then I thought she's a stalker. <laughs> and and it took me a very long time to to, to then realise. And it was only when it was sort of spelled out to me, no, she's in. Well, she she's in it and she's not in it because yes, she, she, she's the double. She's whenever the double. They couldn't use the original actor for whatever reason. Yeah, so so, yeah. That, so that I guess that means that, that she might have been used when they were setting up lighting yeah. and stuff like that. But it might also be used maybe for some long shots or when maybe yes. Emma Watson was filming something else and they thought, well, we just need you in the background, so you just you or don't see went, her face. Where is she? I'm afraid she's revising for her GCSEs right now. So yeah. you know, yeah. whenever they needed a stand-in, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, I'd and be I'll, telling everybody if I was somebody's double in the Harry yeah, Potter films. Yeah, and she I'd have it on a t-shirt. She probably. she worked with us for a few months. Never once said it. Had wow. no idea at all. Or if she did, I didn't. Didn't pay any attention. I think you would have known. <laughs> you yeah. would have remembered yeah. and recalled, I'm sure Anyway, you hello Flick if you're listening. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hello Flick. But, but anyway, back to this film then, The Forgotten Battle. Uh, is this, um, I'm going to ask you a question and you may not know the answer to, but is this in the English language? Is it yes. subtitled? Yes, I thought, my understanding is it is, um, because I, saw, I did watch the trailer and that was. Now, sometimes on streaming services they, um, they dubbed the original, but yeah. I, I, so I don't know if they've done that. Okay. But, I, you know, it was a Dutch... Uh, crikey, everybody in Holland speaks better English than we do, don't they? Particularly me. You know, if you've yeah. Ever, yeah, 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 they do, yeah. So I guess they're fine with it. And uh, and I guess it does also probably indicate that it's likely to be in the in English originally because they have got the whole plot point of having British pilots and Canadian troops and, um, and Tom Felton prop, cropping up, okay. not speaking Dutch, so... So this is on Netflix. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because I know you are something of a historian who knows something of World War Two. A little bit. So I'm, I'm backtracking a little, quickly now. Yeah, yeah but, but you've on. published books, or, yeah. or at least one book, haven't you? Yeah, but it was a big war, so there's bits I don't know about. But yes, I've but, done two books set in um, the Second World War. Well, one was a true story. So you've actually written two books. Set. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hunting the Hangman and Gentlemanly Warfare. So you're Available more, at all local retailers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In all good bookshops and a few bad ones as well. Yeah. yeah. A few bad ones. Yeah. Indeed. And uh, yeah, I had a joke the other day that I think applies to you. I was saying, if, you know, um, if, if if you're currently putting all of Harold Linsky's books together on a bookshelf, then you clearly work in a charity shop. Excellent. Um, yeah. No, I do. They do crop up in there, but I take it as a compliment. Someone has read it and enjoyed it so much they felt the need to share it. They, with they else. want it. They don't want to just keep yeah. it locked on their shelf. Either that, or they read four pages and threw it in the waste paper basket, and their wife sent it, and husband yeah. sent it to the charity store. But, yeah. One of the advantages of having your own podcast is you can bring your favourite authors on to do um, film shows, and that's what I've done. So uh, you, you're not here because you're a you, bad mate. writer, my thank friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. But my question, because yes, you managed to get me off the track there. Mm. So you're a World War II expert. Um, and uh, the, is this battle indeed forgotten? Had you heard of this before? Uh, I must admit, I hadn't on this one. And I did do some digging to find out what it was. But I mean, it all, in late, well, in 19, um, late, mid to late 1944, you've got that huge concentration on the Normandy invasion, you know, June the 6th. 
and then onwards there were a series of engagements all up and down um, France, Belgium, Holland prior to and in, then involving Arnhem as well where they tried to break into Germany so yeah I don't think it's not forgotten by actual experts because uh, I'm certainly not one of them but I must have I wasn't very aware of it and uh, when I looked at the casualties involved and how long it took I thought well really it ought to be remembered I would say as well that rather like Dieppe which involved Canadian troops it is less well known by the general public in this country because we, it didn't involve quite so many British casualties probably less well known in America for the same reason that it didn't involve US troops as okay. much um, and you know Quite rightly, the Canadians were a bit bitter about Dieppe because we sent thousands of men on a raid that proved to be very foolhardy and they lost a lot of people. Mm. And we, you know, that ought to be better known, really. Okay. Well, I'm just, I, I think it's nice, I don't know if that's a weird way of looking at this, but I think it's nice that there are still stories we are discovering that yes. aren't public, that aren't well known about elements of, of World War II. I totally agree with you, and that's what I love about World War II because, I mean, the First World War was fascinating, but it tended to involve armies digging in, facing one another and a war of attrition. In the Second World War, there were thousands, if not millions, of individual stories, and they crop up mm. from time to time. And I'd never heard of Oscar Schindler until Schindler's List came out, you know, and that, that's one example. Uh, there are very many more. Yeah. Uh, last year, I saw a film uh, that Tom Hanks did called Greyhound, which was released on um, Apple TV. It was, it was one of the many ones that couldn't go into the cinema. Oh, uh, was that so... was the captain of the ship? Yeah, yes, yeah. And it was, it was the early 1940s it was set. And it was, a, again, and I think they claimed that this was um, an event. A true story, that, yeah. that, yes, they, yes, so they were very much saying it was a true story, but claiming it was an event that was not well known. And I thought that was interesting. Also, of course, it had the obligatory Stephen Graham in it. Well, um, it is in his contract that he has to be in every... Bless him, Stephen. I, I mean, I do like you. You're a fine actor before you get the ump. Yeah. But give somebody else You want to be careful, because if any of your books ever get made into a series, yeah, yeah. he's odds-on favourite to be one of the, your characters. He absolutely characters. will, and then I'll tell everybody how proud I am that he's yeah. in there. Which one would you have him as? Oh, I suppose it depends which book. Oh, do you mean what, what one of the crime ones or one of the, the what? I mean, there's... If it's one of your series, many. you know... Which, yeah. Um, oh, we, we'd be a good Ian Bradshaw. There you go. a little bit, possibly a little bit older than Ian, but I don't mind, really. See, and if that happens now, mm. I think the St. Albans podcast gets some money, because you just mentioned it, so well, thank I, you for I that. think it probably gets some money, because you'll threaten to release it to the greater world and the wider public, and, you'll, yeah. and I'll have to pay you it's all right. to no, suppress it. Don't worry, no one listens to this. Oh, anyway, gosh. The Forgotten Battle is on Netflix the right Forgotten now. The Forgotten Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't joke. <laughs> anyway, The Forgotten Battle, yes, it's out, out now, and it's on Netflix. Uh, in a moment, we will be talking about forgetting things, mm. we'll be looking at a film that is indeed too good to be forgotten. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is, you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of The St Albans Podcast in association with The Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. We've reached that point in the show where we look at Howard's film that he says is too good to be forgotten. Howard. Yes, this is a Joel and Ethan Cohen movie. You've probably heard of them. They did Fargo and they've done a bunch of other movies that have been elevated to 
a high status by winning all sorts of awards. But my favourite movie of theirs is a little less surreal than the ones they often do, um, even though it has quite a complicated plot. And that movie is Miller's Crossing. And um, it's, uh, in one sense, it's a kind of old-fashioned gangster movie. So if you like The Godfather and things like that, it's, it's fun. It's set in the era of Prohibition. Um, and it's uh, got a character called Tom Regan, who is played by Gabriel Byrne, who's all, nearly always excellent in everything he does. Um, and he works for an Irish mobster called Leo O'Bannon, who runs the city. I think the city from memory is Chicago. And uh, he, Liam O'Bannon is played by Albert Finney. And Tom Regan kind of falls out with him because what happens is the, the mob boss um, falls out with an Italian gangster called Johnny Casper, because he won't let him kill a, uh, a seedy bookmaker called Bernie Birnbaum, who's played by John Turturro in this. Um, and he doesn't want to kill this guy. He doesn't want to let the Italian guy kill this guy because Albert Finney's character is seeing the man's sister, Verna Birnbaum, played by Marcia Gay Harden. Uh, is a very tough lady in this, but glamorous as well. Now, the twist is that Gabriel Byrne is also seeing her. Right, so he's quite harsh on her. She's quite harsh on him. They seem to think they know um, a little bit about each other. Gabriel Byrne is a very cynical, straight-talking guy, and he urges Leo to not fall out with this rival gangster. And when he does fall out with him, chaos ensues. But also, Gabriel Byrne is in debt to a huge amount of money to local bookmakers. He loses the protection of Albert Finney's character when Finney finds out that he's been seeing his girlfriend behind his back. And then complications ensue because Gabriel Byrne's character, Tom Regan, goes back and forth, back and forth in a world involving the Italian gangsters, the Irish gangsters who's headed up by Leo, various political people involved in it, and lots of side characters. And it's just complicated, but very, very, very good. There's immensely clever dialogue in it. There's a clever plot twist involving the um, Italian gangster trying to get Tom to come over to his side and kill the bookie Bernie Birnbaum. And he leads him out into the woods. Um, and I won't spoil it by telling you what happens because it just gets very, very interesting at that point. So I, I watched this film not that long ago because I believe you recommended it to me. Yes, I think it was. Was this in your article that you Yeah, wrote? some time ago I wrote an article about ones that are a little bit similar theme of forgotten crime movies in this particular yeah. genre. And um, yeah, I know you watched one or two of them. What did you think? Did you I, like I, so I really liked it. So, so going into it, I thought it sounded like Road to Perdition. Yes. Very similar look to it but, initially. Well, yeah. Well, except it isn't, is it? Because no. because um, so Plot they're both no. they're both gangster movies that are both set at approximately the same time, probably late twenties, early thirties in America. Yep. Um, so you would think, oh, that's you know they're going to be very very similar. Road to Perdition is very straight. It is, and yes. this is yeah, this very is. colourful and surreal and a bit different. And yeah, quirky. but I mean, for Joel and Ethan Cohen, it's the opposite of surreal by their normal standards. So oh, there yes. is there is little bits like there's a recurring theme of a hat that keeps blowing around yeah. and sim- symbolising something, but there isn't a great deal that isn't easy to understand. The plot's quite complicated, but there's no overt imagery that you're looking at going, what, what's that all about? I don't get that. I prefer it when they're like this and they just give me a slightly complex plot with... Um, real characters delivering very sharp dialogue yeah. and a few twists along the and, way. And some early performances <clears throat> by uh, John Turturro and Steve yeah. Buscemi. Steve Buscemi is funny in this who've, as well. Who've collaborated with the Coen brothers yeah. many times subsequently. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to see them in their first roles for the Coens. And, and also I was intrigued. I had to go back and watch this bit again because I just didn't believe it. But um, Albert Finney has a cameo in this movie. 
Did you know about this? A cameo as well as playing the main part. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. So he plays another part. Oh. He play, there's a scene in this? a lady's west, rest room. Yes, I remember that. Say. Yeah, where... Um, Gabriel Barr gets punched in there, doesn't he, by Marcia Gearhart? Yeah, and there's, yeah. And, but there's also um, uh, a character who, who is a rather big lady that walks oh, in. Yes. And right. that's Albert oh, Finney. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and when I read that, I thought, really? Was that him? Fabulous. And so I went back. What a versatile actor he is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I can only imagine. He must have just done that for a giggle. Yeah, that could have been the only they reason. Must, must have yeah. just said, this will be funny. So Brilliant. they got him made up and you wouldn't know it was him. No. And, and uh, anyway, he was there in the in the toilet as well. There's some really good set pieces as well. Yeah, they, do, they do know how to make a scene interesting. There's a bit where it doesn't really spoil the plot to tell you about it, but when Albert Finney, playing Leo O'Bannon, is sitting at home in bed and he's reading the paper and smoking a cigar and the Italians try and kill him. And they burst into his house, but they do it quietly and they kill his bodyguard and his bodyguard hits the ground and then they start to walk up the stairs to get to him or explore the house to find him, basically. But as the bodyguard falls, his cigarette sets a newspaper alight and the flames eventually cause smoke to come up through the floorboards and Albert Finney suddenly looks up and goes hang on a minute, there's smoke coming from the floorboards of my bedroom. And that tips him off that these guys are coming. And then, uh, you know, a great shootout ensues. And, and am I right in thinking as well that, that as you see the newspaper burn, the story is about an arson? Oh, I didn't. I don't There's remember a that. story about a fire yeah, yeah. on that okay. newspaper. Oh, that's good. I think that's even better. Yeah, which is yeah. just. I think it's part of the brilliance of the Cowan brothers. And in the background, Danny Boy is playing on the record that he's listening to on the '78 record on the on the gramophones. So okay. it gives it, it gives when when they do the whole Danny Boy uplifting bit. Yeah, it's in the middle of the shootout that follows. So it's clever stuff. Yeah, well um, worth a watch. There's something else which I think speaks to the brilliance of the Cowan brothers that apparently when they were writing this, they uh, took a three week break because they had writer's block. So they got partway through that. So they thought. Oh, we need to take a break. We can't see how to move this on. And in that three-week break, they wrote Barton Fink. In three weeks. In yeah. three weeks. As, a, as, a, as an author with deadlines, I'm, I'm jealous of the three-week break. And not only that, but, kind of bits of the, but for those who don't know, Barton, Barton Fink. Fink is a film about a writer with writer's That's right, block. it is. And, and it won the Palm d'Or from memory. Yeah. You know? That one I found less easy to get into. I, I understood why the critics loved it, mm. but it didn't speak to me quite like Miller's no. Crossing. I got, I loved it. Barton Fink was a bit surreal. But they just went and made it like you wrote it in in a three week break. I'd won the Palm Door. And then went back and finished off Miller's Crossing. And in Miller's Crossing, there are references to Barton Fink. There's the the hotel's called the Barton Arms. That's right. Um, Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, there's a few other little subtle references in the background. Do they call them Easter eggs these days? They do these days, don't they? Yeah. 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 But uh, anyway, that's uh, that's Miller's Crossing, a, a great, uh, great uh, film by the Cohen brothers there uh, with a wonderful cast, including, as you mentioned, uh, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Steve Buscemi um, and uh, Albert Finney and, uh, and Marcia Gay Harden and, and, and lots of others as well. That's uh, Howard's film that is too good to be forgotten. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Time now for... I got all dramatic there. I didn't mean to. I just forgot what I was going to say. So it's time now. So you're building t- me up. Oh, well, I could try. <laughs> but uh, no, we're time to look at Howard's Choice of Films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So all of these channels, they are available uh, through uh, Freeview. Uh, they're not ones you have to pay an extra subscription for. And uh, we start off with Friday the 15th of October, which might be today, because it depends on when yes. you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. This could be hundreds of thousands of years in the future. Gosh. Someone might have found this. Time capsule. Yeah. Yeah, and they might think, what on earth's going on? I know, who the heck is this yeah. guy? Uh, and the guy is in question is Dirty Harry. Yeah, so yeah. this is the film we're talking about tonight. And if you are from thousands of years in the future, Google this. This one's quite good. Mm, it is. It's good. You might then yeah. have to Google Google, because you may not know what that is either. <laughs> I 
love the concept of googling googling. Oh, if you do that, you the, the internet will implode. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a there'll be internet. A, a What's that? The, there'll be there'll g- be sh- a split or a rift in the space time yeah. continuum of whatever they say. And if you've got here. time travel sorted out, come back right now and tell us what the Euro Millions numbers are for Friday night because it's a yes, big one. Yes, please, we could do with that. Definitely. Uh, we're both yeah. staring at a chair now in the room, and no one's materialised. I know, it's so disappointing. <sighs> There's a jumper there looking all listless on its own, but uh, oh well. Anyway, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. Again, yes. we always digress, don't we? But Dirty Harry, would you believe 1971? It's a while ago now, isn't 50 it? 50 years. 50 years. Oh, gosh, dear me. Anyway, um, it's uh, uh, basically a story that Don Siegel directed. It's the first, and uh, rather like we talked about Halloween and uh, other things over the over the previous podcasts that run in a series. And as nearly always, the original was the best one. Um, Clint Eastwood plays the title role very well. He's, he works for the San Francisco Police Department and he's Inspector Dirty Harry Callahan. Um, and the original story drew on the uh, real life case of the Zodiac Killer, um, who was basically a, a similarly vicious psychopath to the one in the, the movie. And one that a, a, an acclaimed movie was made about as well, wasn't yes. it? The Zodiac, yeah, yeah. David yeah. Fincher made, which mm. featured the premiere of Dirty Harry in the movie. There's, oh, a, there's a scene in the movie where they're coming out of having just seen Dirty Harry and oh. there's a the bit of dialogue about how that's based on the killer that they're trying to find. Ah, do you know, I'd seen that, that, that movie a few years back, but I didn't recall that. So thank okay. you for adding a layer of complexity um, in, in a nice way, in a positive way. Um, so, yeah, Dirty So at the time, Dirty Harry was a critical and commercial success, but uh, rather, I guess still now, the same thing the same thing would happen as 50 years ago people would say watch this and they'd sort of say well is this right that this guy goes around shooting the bad guys all the time etc etc um i just think we shouldn't get too into that when you watch a movie like dirty harry and not sort of discuss i don't think many police officers behave quite like dirty harry some behave far worse in america as we know um and shoot people for very uh, you know flimsy reasons but in this case <clears throat> there are bad guys Dirty Harry tends to shoot first and ask questions later. He gets into trouble. He's the original maverick cop, the one that's always about 48 hours away from being suspended. Um, the character has been, uh, I don't know, copied, repeated, built upon in many, many movies over the years. And there are even four sequels to Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact and The Deadpool which wasn't all that good from memory back in 1988. But it had a good cast in it. Um, you had, uh, Liam Neeson Liam was in Neeson, it. Liam Neeson, yes, yeah, that's uh, right. Jim Carrey in a very early role for him. Oh, I did not know he that. He was in that as oh, well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's fair to say it was The Law of Diminishing Returns because I think Dirty Air is a classic film, yeah. but I think the other ones <clears throat> were good movies. They, they weren't, maybe it was difficult to recreate the classic. Yes, they probably but, didn't emulate the really good one at the beginning. And uh, I think that was something that, you know, was quite original at the time and we tend to remember the the clever little speech he used to give about his gun you know did i how many bullets did i fire i can't remember myself do you feel lucky yeah punk i'll try not to do a clint eastwood impression because i'll do it very badly <laughs> but you know the kind of dialogue and it's quite it's quite an iconic rule um and if you think about it clint eastwood did it not all that long after doing this spaghetti western dude yeah you know, where he was a man with no name and so, so some um, some would say that this was almost like Clint Eastwood's first real starring role where he wasn't playing a cowboy, uh, but because he had done there was a film a couple of years before again with the same director Don Siegel, uh, which uh, the name escapes me now, but uh, he. Uh, Oh man, I'm gonna have to look that up. Go on, but, tell me what it's about. And I might remember. Uh, oh, so he played a cop from Arizona or somewhere, coming to the big city. Oh yes, to yes, I um, remember the guy um, uh, bring to bring to, to to transport someone back. I even remember that it, 
in that one there's dialogue about the fact that he tells the uh, he asks the cab driver how many town halls there are in the city because we just passed this twice yeah you know because <laughs> they treat him like a you know uh, a hick because he's this cowboy um, yeah why can't I remember the name of this movie I don't know the one you mean I'm struggling for it as well now I, I, I'm very quickly fl- uh, Coogan's Bluff that's the fella Coogan yes. which was made into a Steve TV Coogan's series Coogan's Bluff yeah yes <laughs> It was spun off. Uh, McLeod was the TV series with oh, Dennis Weaver, right. but it was God. essentially the same character ah. um, and and the similar storyline. But yes, wow. so he had starred in that movie yeah. where it was contemporary, but he was kind of playing a cowboy still. So this was the first one where he yeah. was really the first starring movie where he was not playing a cowboy, and it was it was modern day. Ah, well, so the only other one I can think of where he was slightly out of character in terms of not playing a cowboy that might have been a bit earlier, two or three years earlier than Dirty Harry, was when he was opposite Richard Burton in Where Eagles Dare. Of course, that, and there, he shot was, every German in Germany with his machine guns, didn't he? It was, um, <laughs> but, but wasn't a contemporary movie. So the, no, that's true. The point was yeah, about, yeah. you know, yeah, so yeah, no, st- right. starring in a movie where it wasn't a... Uh, wasn't historic. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah good um, point. But, but yeah, yeah was it, I saw an interview where Clint Eastwood described that film as Where Doubles Dare, because apparently he wasn't in it very often, and neither was Richard Burton. So much of that footage was, was other people. Oh. Um, and they were only in the close-ups. I think Richard Burton's one of the finest actors that ever lived, but I suspect he quite often needed to double in the afternoons. Yeah, yeah. Because he did like a bit of the sauce, didn't he? Rather yeah, to, yeah. On his own admission. You know, Broadsword to Danny Boy. Yes. Broadsword yeah, to Danny a, Boy. There's even a book called Broadsword Calling Danny Boy, isn't there, yeah. about it, which I, I thought was fabulous. This guy, guy wrote a book about where Eagles Day and what it meant to him. And it did quite well a couple of years back yeah. from memory. But yes, Dirty Harry. And the other thing about this was, this was a movie that wasn't intended for Clint Eastwood because Clint Eastwood was a Western star. That's how Hollywood saw him. He'd done mm. TV. He'd done some spaghetti Westerns. He wasn't really somebody that you would put into a, a big budget, mainstream, contemporary movie. Uh, and uh, it, Frank Sinatra was going to be um, cast and turned it down. Uh, Paul Newman had been offered it, but felt it was all a bit too right-wing for him, the yeah. way the guy dished out his own justice and yes, he wasn't comfortable with that. Right Steve Newman, McQueen yes. turned it down because yeah. he, he said I've done too many cop things I don't want another cop thing and oh. loads of people turned it down Clint Eastwood made it a massive massive film and yes. then all of those or a lot of those people then subsequently were desperate to do similar things John Wayne did I think it was called Brannigan yes when it comes to London yeah where yeah. he's way too Over old to be a cop yes. and way too big to be chasing perps down streets yes. and things uh, stop stop because I can't catch you <laughs> yeah. basically yeah. <laughs> not stop because I, or I'll shoot but but yes Dirty Harry yeah. was where it all kind of started from and, and yeah great great movie and uh, there's another great scene in it where he's pursuing somebody I think it's that, that scene where he says do you know how many bullets are fired because I yeah. can't remember yeah he goes across a street and there's a cinema in the background and the cinema is playing the film Play Misty for Me, ah. which was his directorial debut, which came out uh, earlier the same year. Oh, right, yes. And yeah, so he's actually yes, running... He was a, a DJ co- in that one, wasn't he? It's That's a, right. It's basically a Fatal Attraction, isn't it, that movie? Oh, <coughs> which I, is strange. Cause, I cannot yeah. believe that more people never drew that com- parallel because mm. it came 15 years or so before oh, Fatal no. Attraction. Mm. But, but yeah, great film. That was his directorial debut. And Don Siegel played a barman in that movie that oh, he's wow. friends with. And Don Siegel was the director of a lot of Clint's movies back then, including yeah. Dirty Harry. That's a long time we just spent talking about Dirty Harry. I do apologise, but it's a wonderful film. It's worth it, isn't it? It's yeah. great. Now, as I say, if you don't take the politics too seriously and you just look upon it as entertainment, then that's the best way yeah, to do yeah. Dirty Harry. There's nothing real about this at all. It's Not just really, entertainment, no. and, exactly. and it's good. And this is this is where the Maverick Cop came from. This is Yes, he's the original Maverick Cop, the one who's always falling out. When he falls out with the mayor, even yeah. in the trailer. If you look yeah. at the trailer, which I viewed again 
last night. It's like the mayor's like uh, calls him into the office and his boss is there and he says, you know, so what? Are you, what have you been up to with the case? And he said, the case. Well, I've been sitting outside on my ass for forty five minutes waiting for you to <laughs> let me in. And his boss is like, that's the mayor you're talking to. And this is a very original, yeah, you know, uh, lippy cop who's about yeah. to lose his badge, you know. And there was, I think, one of the one of the many classic lines is something like, "A man's got to accept his limitations." Ah. And you know, I think he fires that at the mayor as well, as if to say, "You're at your depth, pal." Yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, man's got to accept we, his limitations. We, we've always dream, we, everybody dreams of telling their boss that kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Having a bad day, so yeah. I suppose it's uh, therapeutic to watch. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's, Everybody's got, one. got one. Yeah, <laughs> we can do this all day. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's not. not. <laughs> Dirty Harry, ten p.m. Channel Five, Friday yeah. the fifteenth of October. Let's move on to Saturday the sixteenth of October. And my word, the five star movies aren't ending with Dirty Harry. No, all no, no because we have nine p.m. on the Paramount Channel, The Last of the Mohicans. This is the nineteen yes. nineties version. Correct. Yes. So, but it's it's quite um, you know a lot of it does come from the books. So I did wonder about that, but it's. Uh, it's based on the original book, James Fannymore Cooper, from memory. Um, and it's 1992. It's an epic historical drama film set in 1757 during the French and Indian War, as it's known. But that's also um, basically the French and the Brits were going at it, hammer and tongs. And um, it follows uh, basically a, a, the, the uh, siege of a fort that ends with the British being allowed to surrender by the French. And this actually happened in real in real life. The the characters were were um, real. The French commander allowed the British to surrender with full honours, which meant they were allowed to leave the fort and walk away. Um, in reality, they weren't allowed to keep their much of their ammo or any of their ammo. And it depends on which historian you you um, read or believe. But as they left, the Indians who had allied with the French were very narked because they didn't get to. Um, uh, you know, uh, get bounty and didn't get trophies and they didn't get slaves. So they attacked the British column. And again, historians are divided by how many died, but a large number of them were killed in that uh, retreat. Now, in the movie, the commanding officer of the Brits has two daughters. And so they are played by Madeline Stowe and Geordie May. And they're both very, very good. And Daniel Day Lewis, who's uh, he's not a bad actor, is he? You know, he's an upcoming young chap from from these waters who, who had quite a good career. Um, he plays uh, the, the the son, the adopted son of one of the last of the Mohicans. He has a, a, a brother and a, and a father, and the three of them manage to get away from this massacre, and they attempt to um, get Madeline Stone and Jodie Mays characters free from danger, but it doesn't go according to plan. And at one point, they are separated. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis has to deliver his I will find you, stay alive speech. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's really good. It's great dialogue. It's beautifully um, shot and directed. Michael Mann, who's, you know, done some great movies. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Guided Heat. Yeah, Miami Vice. Miami Vice, yes, that guy. So, but there are no there are no jackets with their sleeves rolled up in this. No, no that's a shame. So, you know, no uniforms with the sleeves rolled up. Can you imagine? That yeah. would have been quite fun. But yeah, it's just such a really good movie. I don't really need to describe much more of it, except to watch it if you haven't seen it, and if you've seen it, watch it again. Well, yeah. the music, the musical score is fantastic. Okay, it's really really that's good. That's Last of the Mohicans uh, from 1992, uh, 9 p.m. Paramount Channel, Saturday the 16th of October. We move to Sunday the 17th of October, 10:05 uh, p.m. If you're missing submarine action on a Sunday night because vigil is no longer on <laughs> yes um uh, then you want to sort of put put your toe back in that water so to speak Definitely. with this movie crimson tide crimson tide yes which so, is, we mentioned this filmmaker's brother earlier because yes, this is Tony scott, scott. yes was, he tragically is not not with us anymore because yeah. he took his own life which is awful but anyway he was a 
He was a, a proficient director of, um, uh, I guess, action thriller films is probably the, the genre that he was in. Uh, Crimson Tide's a very good movie. Um, it was loosely based around an incident that actually happened with the Soviet submarine fleet, but that doesn't matter too much because this is about an American submarine. And it is all about the clash between the captain of the submarine and his new XO, his new executive officer. So Gene Hackman plays the tough captain of a US nuclear missile submarine. And his right-hand man who's been uh, appointed to, to, to that role recently is Denzel Washington. And it's all about that state of flux between the Soviet Union collapsing and the Russian Federation starting out. And there was uncertainty about where their missiles were and some uh, described as ultranationalists threatened to launch nuclear missiles at the US and Japan. The submarine basically has a, a point where they have to decide whether to preemptively launch nukes on Russia, but they only get a garbled signal as to whether to go ahead or not for reasons that are quite long and involved and I won't go into here. But that is the gist of it. Now, Gene Hackman wants to launch, Denzel Washington doesn't, and they are supposed to both concur, otherwise it's an illegal action. So Captain can't just launch nukes, his exo has to go along with the story too. He doesn't. And they try and arrest one another. And there's a, uh, you know, some would call it a coup, some would call it a mutiny, others would call it a, a righteous act, depending on your outlook. And it's very tense, very well done, uh, very well written and, and acted, and very mm. well directed, Tony Scott, you know? Yeah. And he's no slouch. You, you mentioned earlier on this show about uh, Ridley Scott's achievements. You, you went through some of his mm. films. Tony Scott did Top Gun. Yes. Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days yeah, of yeah. Thunder, The Last Boy Scout, True Romance, True Romance even, uh, Crimson Tide, uh, Enemy of the State, Spy Game, Man on Fire. Uh, he he yeah, did the he, remake of uh, Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. He was not as critically lauded as his brother, but his, commercially, but, but commercially in box office, he was yeah. massive. And, if, uh, if anything, possibly bigger than his yeah, brother he commercially. Been, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those films, yeah. absolutely massive. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was, was very good. He also did a George Michael video. Um, but uh, but yeah, he he's done a lot of movies and was you know really carved out his own uh, his own part of Hollywood. He did definitely. Um, yeah. But yeah, Crimson yeah. Tide, and, and he frequently collaborated with Denzel Washington, and this is a great example. Yeah, of I that think as well. this is possibly his best film. I mean, I mean, people love Top Gun, but it's it is what it is. It's not all a deep thinking movie. It's quite fun and everything, and. Yeah. Uh, I quite like Top Gun, but I'm not a massive fan. But this, I thought, was very, very good. Okay. So worth it, worth a watch. All right, that's Crimson Tide, uh, Sunday the 17th of October, 10.05pm on Paramount. Monday the 18th of October, uh, at 2.55 on Film 4, sees a very different film, a far more, I say more gentle. This, this, yes, this, this is appear, action, yes. but this is like old people doing action, but, but not, not in the way of like The Expendables. This is, because no. this is historical as well. It's Robin and Marion from yes, 1976. It's interesting movie, and I plucked it out. There wasn't a lot on during that day, but I did chance upon this one. Um, it's a 1976 movie. Uh, and it was classed as an adventure film, but as you said, it was much more sedate. It was directed by Richard Lester, written by James Goldman, and it's based on the legend of Robin Hood, but it's an elderly Robin Hood, so it's like what happened to him after the legend that we all think we know. So he's um, an old guy. He's, um, I think it starts from memory with him in uh, a crusade or a battle with um, the Richard the Lionheart, and when Richard the Lionheart dies, he comes home, and he's not been there for a while, Audrey Hepburn plays Lady Marion, who's now um, in the middle of the, the plot because people want her to surrender some land, but she also is living as a, I guess as a nun or as an abbess, whatever her title is in this. Nicole Williams is in it. Robert Shaw plays the Sheriff of Nottingham. And Richard Harris is, is Richard the Lionheart. 
Denham Elliott as Will Scarlet. Yeah. I mean, great cast. And a cameo from Roddy Barker as Friar Tuck. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a comedy movie. It's not an, just an action movie. It's more of a... It's kind of a thoughtful movie about yeah. what comes after the stuff that you're well known for and whether you should just rest on your laurels or go again. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bittersweet movie, but it's well acted and well okay. done. I'm going to be very controversial here. I'm going mm. to go against you a little bit because ah. I didn't enjoy this one that much. Oh, okay. Well, well, I haven't seen it for years, but I thought it was quite, well, well, no, no, quite you, good. You yeah. stand by your, your yeah, view yeah, of it. You I know, do. The yes, part I do. of yeah, this yeah. Is, is that, you know, we, yeah. we should It is bittersweet. And I remember, so the first time I saw it, I was a kid. Um, and gosh, it can't have been that long after it was made. So, but but I didn't like it then. Right. And then I saw it a few years later, and I thought, okay, yeah, I get it now. It's more realistic. It's more, um, yeah. What what happened to them both? And if you take it on that level, it's worth a watch. But yeah, if you're expecting Kevin Costner style Robin Hood, yeah, not that kind of thing. No. I'm afraid. So, so I felt that this film was not as good as the. What's the phrase about the sum of its parts or something? It, oh yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. about it totally made not. me think it should be better than it was. Right, I'm with you. And where I with the cast, yeah, yeah. And where I felt it went wrong was so this was in the mid '70s, yes. and Richard Lester had just had huge success with the Musketeers films. Yes, he that's made right. <clears throat> the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers made them back to back. Good fun. Yeah, huge hits. They were massive yeah. all star casts and and a rip roaring action comedy action adventure. Yes, and I think that this was seen as oh it's another thing like that it's a period piece we've got a good all-star cast in here i don't think this was as entertaining if you go in with that expectation absolutely agree with you that it would not be that kind of thing i loved those uh, musketeer movies when i was a kid yeah loved them didn't like this one when i was a kid it was when i was older i watched and thought oh yeah i get it now um, but yes, go in with the right expectations, otherwise yeah. you will definitely be disappointed. I would, yes, and I think you, it's probably a fair point because I've not seen those Musketeer movies since I was a kid. Mm. And I suspect now I'd find them childish. At the time, I thought they were funny and slapstick, and I, I liked yeah. what they did. I really like them as well, and I, I like you. I'm, I'm a bit loath to watch them again because I probably think, oh, you know, yeah, but that, yeah, not they were great fun. I mean, I, I love the fact that. Um, uh, you got the the D'Artagnan character falls out with all of the musketeers early and challenges them all to a duel. Yeah, and which is just daft when you're a teenager. But you know, he but isn't that, that in the book? book? Isn't that in oh, the I original? Don't know. Yeah, I believe that yeah. that's been. Uh, I only know that because also in the cartoon adaptation, Dog Tanyon and the Musker Hounds uh, had the same thing. Well, it must be. It yeah, must be because so that's a documentary. Dog Tanyon yeah, and yeah, the yeah, Musker yeah, Hounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it might well be. I haven't read the classic. Old, you know, Three Musketeers. I book. believe that that is but, part yeah. of the story that D'Artagnan actually so like cocksure of himself and proud and all of yeah. this yeah. that he challenges. And his dad was a musketeer. I don't remember that. And it was something about he couldn't get his sword out of its scabbard, so he's actually ah. fighting them like that. And they thought it was because he had such respect for the musketeers that he wouldn't unblade. When in fact, he couldn't get it out, or something like that. But but yeah. I think that might be. That possible. actually makes me want to watch that one again because it was good. Christopher Lee was in it. Raquel Welch, yeah. I think, was in it. Yeah, Faye Dunaway. Yeah, oh, yeah, brilliant, great. But anyway, Robin and Marion. It does have a good cast. Yep. Sean Connery's in it, and, and Audrey Hepburn. They're very good. Um, yep. Robert Shaw. I don't, you know, he's. I kind of felt like he was sometimes just chewing the furniture a little he, bit. Yeah, and he might have been done in at that point. Who knows? But then he, he did Jaws very, around then, didn't he? He was still very, very good did, in that. Yeah. yeah, Jaws was the year before, I think. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and of course, he was in From Russia with Love with Sean Connery way yeah, back in the day. He's good in that. Very good. Um, but anyway, yeah. that's uh, Robin caught, and Marion. Caught out, spotted for ordering the wrong wine with fish, wasn't he? That's it. That's, that was his downfall. Yeah. Only an Englishman would. Yeah, he yeah. never, never ordered that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well done for the Scot who spotted that. About yes. what an Englishman would do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Robin absolutely. and Marion, uh, two fifty-five p.m. film yeah. for Monday, the eighteenth of October. Tuesday, the nineteenth of October, eleven o five p.m. Uh, on Five Star. Well, over to you for this. I've 
think I've seen one of these films and I didn't enjoy them at all. But ah, well, I like the first one. It got they got a bit, um, you know, odd and um, not that great. We are talking sort of the Hunger Games. Yeah, I, I thought the first one was really good. I mean, I know it's kind of not aimed at me because I'm a sad man in late middle age. It's more a teenage movie, but I just thought it was well done, and I think. Um, you know, reasonably well acted for what it is, but the the idea I like I like post apocalyptic stuff like a bit of sci fi with, um, you know, the world's gone to pot and here's what we're doing. So if you like that kind of movie, you'll like this. Um, the nation of Panem in the future is divided into twelve districts, ruled from a technologically advanced utopian city called the Capital. As punishment for a failed insurrection, each district is forced to select two tributes: a boy and a girl, aged between twelve and eighteen, because that's fair. 12-year-olds fighting 18-year-olds, and they have to fight to the death in an annual televised event called the Hunger Games until there is only one survivor. Now, when I first heard about that movie a few years back, I, well, it's 2012, it's good, it's uh, nearly a decade old, I thought, well, oh, this doesn't really sound like A plausible or B for me. But it did really well, and I went and saw it, and actually I really enjoyed it. I thought it, it was, was good fun. It was no Battle Royale, that's what I'll say. Yeah. For, for those who don't know, that was a Japanese movie. Oh, right. That was um, where a load of school kids were put on an island and only one could survive. And they were, it was all very, very bloody and violent and gory. And yeah. they all had samurai swords and machine guns and things. We've come a bit full circle, haven't we? Because that Squid Games thing that's... Uh, I saw the first episode of that just the other day. And right. Bonkers. I'm saying bonkers. Is, is it? But, uh, I'm, I'm you know. thinking I'm going to give that a try. Yeah, give it a go. But anyway, The Hunger yeah. Games, it's... Don't listen to me because lots and lots of people like hey, these movies. No. And uh, what do I know? Well, I feel the same way whenever I nominate a movie whether it's uh, you know a, a too good to be forgotten or a TV choice I know that for every person who loves them there'll be another who goes not another war movie or Cold War spy things so, well you know, you know th- these films were immensely popular they're well they acted they're well yeah. made um, good cast yeah. so. and they did peter out but the first one's particularly okay. uh, good I so think. that's The Hunger yeah. Games from 2012 the original the first one 11.05pm 5 star that's Tuesday the 19th of October we move to Wednesday night 11.04pm uh, that's very precise. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. Maybe they've got a bit of news going on for four minutes beforehand. Yeah, but yeah, or, or, couldn't they just call it 11.05? Or well, my hunch is a typo, yeah. but somewhere along the line. Possibly, Not necessarily yeah. you, could have been them. Yeah, no, I just lifted it from their site. Just, but, just uh, after 11, <coughs> anyway, ITV4, yeah. Carlito's Way. Yeah. I happen to know that this is based on the second book, but they used yes. the title of the first book. That's correct, yeah. And I'm trying to remember the first title of the first book was... They went, oh, I know. We, we, so Carlito's we, Way was the title right, of the first book. This will interest you. The first book was called After Hours. No, the second one was. The second one was. But, but, this, but, they didn't, but the story is the second book. But they called right. it the first book. Ah, and that's because of the movie after that had already come out called After Hours. Yeah, a couple enough. of years yeah. before, which would have confused yeah. them. So anyway, um, and they were both written by a judge who knows about crime, presumably, because yeah. he had people like um, Carlito Brigante up yeah. in front of him. And uh, I like this movie a lot. It's a 1993 movie. It's a Brian De Palma movie. Um, great when he's great, like The Untouchables. Not so great when he's not so great, but Carlito's was a very good film. Um, he... Um, he got Al Pacino to play Carlito. Sean Penn's in it. Very good Sean Penn in this one. Penelope Al is in it. Miller is in it, sorry. And John Leguizamo um, plays Benny Branco from the Bronx, who is a, a young up-and-coming gangster. Now, the plot of this one involves um, Carlito serving a 30-year prison sentence. He's done five years already. It's set in 1975 in New York. And he gets out of prison on a legal technicality, exploited by his mate, who's a lawyer called Dave Kleinfeld, who's played by... Um, the aforementioned Sean Penn. Oh, and he's got a crazy perm in it. He has. He? He's got a bonkers haircut in it. But yeah. I think it's kind of, again, Sean Penn 
you know, he's a bit out there these days, but... Um, yeah, but it works in this movie, But in this it? movie, he's very, very good. <clears throat> anyway, so Carlito decides he's going to go straight, and of course it doesn't work out that way. It never does, does it? Um, he helps his young cousin, invo- who's involved in a drug deal. That goes very wrong. Um, the cousin is killed, but there's some money left behind that Carlito is able to use. Now, he wants to raise a certain amount of money so he can invest it in a business and get out. And he needs from memory to raise $75,000. He's got 30. Um, so how's he going to raise the rest? He's asked if he can provide the security for a nightclub that's losing money. And of course, that's a legit job, but he, he comes across illegitimate people in there in the sense that they are criminal. Um, and he also um, tracks down his ex, who he hasn't seen for a while, Penelope Ann Miller, uh, who's not exactly delighted to see him at first, but uh, you know it works out reasonably well. Anyway, it's all about Carlito's chance to go straight and can he do it and the temptations are put in front of him, the obstacles, namely the law enforcement guys who don't think that he's gone straight. His friendly lawyer is a bit of a liability as well because he constantly gets him into trouble. The mafia is involved. Drug dealers are involved. It's it's just a very good movie. Mm. And I won't spoil the ending by telling you. And it's one of many movies that Al Pacino should have got an Oscar for. Yeah, And was was continually overlooked uh, at the Oscars until Scent of a Woman was Mm. finally the one that he won an Oscar for. But this is a great performance by him. I mean, it is kind of familiar territory. He's playing a gangster. Um, It's it's sort of what he does, but but he's so good in it. But he does it really well. And and because he's a little bit older in this as well, there's more pathos involved in, say, like something like Scarface, where he's out and out chewing the scenery gangster. And this is a bit more to it, I think. Now, so do you know that there is a sequel to this? Oh, yes, I've seen it. It's not all that great. Oh, okay. Is it Carlito's Legacy or something? It's Carlito's Way, Rise to Power, which is based on the first book. Which right. was called Carlito's yeah. Way. Uh, and the guy who plays Carlito is the bloke who plays Magnum on TV now. This goes around full oh, wow. circle. Because we, we mentioned again, him yes. earlier for being in Friday Night Lights. Yes, we did, yes. Yeah. Uh, Jay Hernandez is his name. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've not seen it. It went straight to video, but mm. I'd heard it was better than you'd think. Yeah, I think... Uh, so I, I watched it one Saturday night, got it on DVD. And I think from memory it was okay. But I can't remember much about it. Usually I can Usually I can remember scenes and dialogue. Well, that's possibly worse, yeah. isn't it? Because if it was really bad, you've got something to talk about. And if it's well, really true. good, you'll remember yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. So, so if it was just in the middle. So it's just meh, you know, yeah. that's how, that's kind of what it was. And uh, yeah, so. Okay, so uh, that's that's the film for Wednesday night, uh, 20th of October, 11-ish, ITV4, Carlita's Way. Yeah, 11 and a bit. <laughs> Bringing this full, full circle, linking to the to one of the first films we mentioned in part one, Thursday the 21st of October, 10.50pm, BBC4, Halloween. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so we started talking about the, the new release, and this is the original, which is really, really good. I mean, I, I kind of took the mick a bit when I said, oh, the number of sequels and how they... Characters indestructible, but this is the original scary one with um, a young Jamie Lee Curtis, actually a film debut back in 1978. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Donald Pleasance is in it, and he's always a he's a Pleasance is always a presence. I think in movies <laughs> he's very very good, um, and it's all about a mental patient who is committed to a sanatorium for murdering his uh, babysitting teenage sister on Halloween night when he was six years old. Fifteen years later, he escapes, returns to his hometown. And he stalks Jamie Lee, who is a female babysitter, and her friends while under the pursuit of his psychiatrist. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, you make sure the the door is locked and the windows are bolted shut when you watch this one because it's a bit spooky. And a great theme tune. And John Carpenter was 
um, well known for doing things on a budget, but he wrote he wrote the music for the theme as well. Yeah, he did, the he did it all on a synthesizer. And it's really he? good. Yeah. Check it out on uh, YouTube. It's simple, but it yeah. works. It does. And uh, and it's yeah, really, this, it's I mean, the, the thing is, slasher movies probably because of this movie. Yeah, they be- all copied this. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know, and there was a slew of them. And, and come the 80s, you had Friday the 13th and you had, yep. you had so many of these things and they just, and even the subsequent Halloween movies, they yes. just churned them out. Well, they were cheap, they were nasty, they were, yep. there was nothing really particularly memorable about any no. of them. <clears> and <throat> it's a shame because when it's done well, these things I think are great. But they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and this yeah. is the one they all imitated. So. Yeah. Except for the third one, the Halloween 3, which went in a completely different style because mm. that was an anthology, apparently, of ghost stories or something. Oh, right. And then okay. they realised that that didn't work and so Halloween yeah. 4, they went back to it being Michael Myers and Donald Pleasant. Yeah. Commercially, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's Halloween from 1978, 10.50pm on BBC4, Thursday the 21st of October. It's about 10 days early, but... Yeah, weirdly. I don't yeah. know why it's not. Maybe they'll repeat it again on uh, Halloween. Though. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that concludes the films for the for this week. Uh, the list of the movies that Howard is suggesting for free-to-air TV is in the description of this episode right now, so you can see them there, along with um, Howard's uh, film that is too good to be forgotten. The artwork is in the artwork of this episode. Howard, which of those films will be your film of the week? I would go for Carlita's Way. Carlita's Way is Howard's film of the week. So if you can only watch one of those movies, make it that one. And uh, next week, it's the return of uh, Sam and Chris uh, doing the film guide. Uh, But thank you for listening. Thank you for making it this far. Find out more about all that we do here by checking out our website, stalbanspodcast.com. Howard, we'll catch you real soon. Thank you, mate. Cheers.